Blog Talk Radio. Enjoy a free meditation download on how to activate 42 new chakra systems available to us now. Visit AcousticHealth.com and click on Meditations. That's AcousticHealth.com. Thank you and enjoy. Healing Conversation, brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and today we are talking about quantum healing and the quantum field, and how you can reconnect with the universe to heal yourself and to heal others. My guest is Dr. Eric Pearl, founder of the Reconnective Healing Process and author of The Reconnection, Heal Others and Heal Yourself. Eric Pearl is a recognized healer around the world and conducts seminars to train others on how to use this healing modality. Welcome, Dr. Eric Pearl, to Healing Conversations. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very glad to be here. You have got an amazing journey in the discovery of this ability that you have, and we're going to hear about it and how you've personally changed and how your patients have changed. But before we get into that, can you tell us, for those who have not heard of this before, what is the Reconnective process? Well, Reconnective healing is a new level of healing that many of the researchers feel may well be here on the planet for the very first time because it takes us beyond what we've been able to access through energy healing and allows us to reconnect more fully with the truth, the essence, the integrity of who and what we are as spirit, as what we experience in between lifetimes. And then we access that fullness when we're here to become more multidimensional beings. And that's part of our lesson in this human form, to discover how to become more the multidimensional beings that we truly are the full entity that we are on the other side. And that really means feeling the energy and seeing with new eyes, as we've heard from Scripture. So when you're feeling and working with this energy, how does that heal someone? Well, in three words, I don't know. Okay. Really don't know. That's part of what makes it so fascinating, and that's part of what allows this to be so broad and comprehensive, the willingness to not know. Because, you know, we are raised here in a way of we're supposed to know everything, know the answers. We go to school. Why didn't you get 100% on the test? Well, you know, what didn't you know? And the point is, is that when we say we know the answer about something, we stop learning right there on the spot. We say, this is right, so this is wrong. Everything inside this box of correct is correct. Everything outside of it is incorrect. And we stop learning. But when we're 
don't know, it entices us to explore, to observe without judgment. I don't know, however, I can see this possibility. I don't know, however, I can see that possibility and that possibility. If I can put this possibility together with another possibility, I have even a greater possibility, which turns out not to be the answers, but turn out to be building blocks for us asking even greater questions because our growth here comes in the questioning. We're about the questioning. Philosophy is all about the questioning. And this is what we're here for. This is where we'll all know all the answers all too soon. We'll all know all the answers all too soon. But we're here actually to simply observe without judgment, to become the observer and the observed, the witness and the witnessed, the seer and the seen. Now you're talking quantum physics, and so let's talk a little bit more about quantum medicine. But are we really? I mean, I mean, think for a moment. Sometimes people say, sometimes people say, well, is this healing spiritually based, or is it based in quantum physics? And I'm saying, is oh. there a distinction, or is quantum physics just giving us more socially acceptable terminology to start to explain the insights into the spirituality of what is? I mean, this is spiritual healing without slapping you on the forehead, falling over backwards, and passing around a collection plate. It's not about religion. Mm -hmm. The spirit is, well, what causes trees to grow up and tree roots to grow down and children to be born with two eyes and one nose. This is spirit. It's in flowing with the laws, the universal laws that we begin to discover when we simply observe without putting judgment and explanation to them. And this is spirituality to me. To me, our religions are various windows out on spirituality. Some of us grow up looking out of one window all of our lives because it's the same window that our parents and our grandparents looked out of. Some of us marry into another religion we see out of two religions, windows. Some of us explore many, but even if we explore looking at the universe through all of the windows that we can find, We'll never see and understand the whole picture because each window is limited by the window frame. And each view becomes more limited by the wall that's required to support the frame that supports the window. It's only when we're willing to all go up on the roof, join hands, and have a party that we can see 360 degrees in all directions instead of arguing over whose window is correct. When they're all correct, they're just, they're all corrected. They're just different. It's like different facets of a diamond. There's not a wrong facet. Yes, well, I love that because it's true what you said earlier just a moment ago that quantum physics is proving what spirituality has always known and the great ancient wisdom. So, yes, it, it was there before quantum physics. Quantum physics, I guess, would just be our terminology for it in this day for those scientists out there that need they need the scientific proof, the fact. So that's why really? I love it. It's blending science with, with spirituality. So much was 
judged um, in a lot of times with the religions when they, you know, remember when they uh, tried to imprison Galileo for having the audacity to say that the uh, earth revolved around the sun. And at that point in time, it looked very much as if religion and science were walking in opposite directions. And they did appear to walk in opposite directions, but it also appeared as if the earth were flat which made it look like they were walking away from one another. But the earth was round. And as they continued their journey, they came back to a point, and that's where we are now, as they're coming back to this point of religion losing a lot of its dogma and us looking more for the true spirituality of the inspiration of the religions and for science through quantum physics supporting it at the same time. So a lot of what people argue about as controversies aren't opposites at all. They just need to step three feet back further to see how they're one and the same. When you look around at the world today and what's going on and the great shift of the ages that is upon us and we are in the thick of it now, what are you doing personally or what advice do you have or what's your vision of the future? Feel, notice, listen, and observe is what we can do in this moment because the future is unfolding. We stand still for a moment and watch it. We allow ourselves to truly become entranced in it and to experience it. Um, there's a shift. There's a shift going on in time. There's a shift we're stepping into right now, possibly with the 2012 situation. It's not the first shift, and it won't be the last. It's, um, but it's what we're noticing right this moment. Time is moving faster. It's moving faster in all directions, and it's opening us up to more. Now, a, a simple way to explain this that um, will follow a little bit of the quantum physics, let's say, is to picture our existence here as a bubble. Picture a tiny little bubble in this huge, vast end of the universe. And our bubble, the wall of itself, our bubble, is comprised of the components height, width, depth, and time, our four-dimensional existence. And everything inside our bubble has been energy. So, for example, the life we've been living has been a life base where everything has been energy. Therefore, for example, the healing that we've had access to in the form of energy healing, there have been different techniques, Reiki, Jirai, Jitsin, Shigong, Mahjong, Beijing, Alpha, Beta, Delta, Gamma, 1, 2, 3, X, Y, Z. All these are different techniques from one another. They all feel a little differently, and through the techniques, they access different parts of that energy that we've had. Now, today, time is moving faster. So what does that mean? Well, first it means time is moving faster, not like when you drive a car from point A to point B along a flat road. But time is moving faster in all directions at once. In other words, time is opening up and expanding, which means that our bubble is expanding further and further out into the universe. It's encompassing more of what has always existed outside of the illusion of time, the illusion of the time-space continuum. So it's timeless, but it hasn't been within our bubble of height, width, depth, and time before. 
so it's new now here for us. Now, this is a concept that will royally tend to irritate a number of people in the New Age community because they want everything to be old because their egos want to take claim of already knowing it. I remember this from my past life as Cleopatra for the 33rd time in Atlantis and Lemuria. But you know, sometimes something is just new. And isn't that wonderful that it's just new because we're also here for what's new and we are expanding into an arena beyond the subsets of energy once we put down our techniques or our telescopes beyond the entirety of energy into a comprehensive spectrum of energy, light, and information that is allowing us to become more. Now, we are not going to have a sudden jolt on December 21st, 2012. We're not going to peek under the bed sheets and scream because we're suddenly invisible. We might scream for another reason, but that will be a different interview, I'm quite certain. What we'll do, however, is maybe in three years, six years, 12 years, look back and say, look at the shift in human consciousness. Look at the change in human consciousness that was going on at that time. That's us. And our awareness of it brings the light and the recognition and the knowingness to us. And we end up sharing that, not just consciously, but as well inadvertently with one another and others in our presence as we share that expand. It can be as large as giving presentations it can be as intimate as a smile that you get from a checker at a supermarket that has a different light in his or her eyes one day. This is the shift that we're going through. Now, if we want to study the heavens, for example, we have a tendency to go and buy a telescope. And then we buy a better telescope. And we focus more and more and deeper and deeper on specific areas of this universe. But, of course, the more we focus in with that telescope, the more we also end up focusing out the rest of the larger picture. That's the expense. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with looking through the telescope. What it means is that after we've seen enough of the small chunks, as we grow and expand, our, expansive, our expansiveness, our consciousness yearns to see more. And that is our inner truth saying to us, put down the telescope. It's now time to look at the larger picture. That's why so many people who are the masters and the grandmaster teachers in the different energy healing techniques are beginning to recognize that the techniques themselves have been like training wheels on a bicycle. And although we've mastered the energy healing techniques, we haven't been here to master energy healing techniques. We've been here to master healing. We've been here to master the bicycle. And the only way for that to happen is to remove the training wheels. The true gift of the technique comes only in its transcendence. And this is the part of our expanding now in the healing field. And this is the part, if we can extrapolate this, to put down and to look for the techniques and the training wheels that we utilize in our lives and get the gift from them but then recognize that the next gift is to step through that fear of, oh, my God, am I going to fall on this bicycle without training wheels, only to discover that the bigger gift comes not in mastering the bicycle with training wheels, but in mastering the bicycle itself. 
And so when you were talking about this change of consciousness and the shift, it really is a personal shift. It's a shift in consciousness. And your personal experience in this ability of yours to unfold in your life is quite fascinating. And so when I go to ask this question, do you think ETs will be landing on our planet or being able to be seen by us, I think I already know the answer because of your experience. Let's talk about your experience with angels. When you were a chiropractor in L.A., and um, you went and saw some psychics on the beach in Venice Beach, and then everything changed from there. Tell us about that. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the, um, the angels. and <laughs> I mean, it's a long story, but... Um, it's a long story. How long is this interview? No, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing, but let me try to condense it a bit. Let me give you the background story of what happened. The background story is I practiced chiropractic for about 12 years. I had one of the largest chiropractic practices in all of Los Angeles. When I went through a couple of life shifts, first of all, I ended a six-year relationship that I thought would have been the relationship of my lifetime. And I had difficulty putting one foot physically in front of the other for a good couple of weeks, just, you know, just working on my patients. And I was having difficulty with my staff, so one day I let them all go to create a new staff. So I was answering the phone, taking the payments, scheduling the appointments, um, stamping the envelopes, and running after the postman. That lasted for about an hour. Uh-huh. I, qu- I quickly decided I needed to have new staff in there. And um, I ended up hiring this woman who was both the physical and audible incarnation of Fran Drescher's character, the nanny, before the nanny existed. It was a love-hate relationship from the beginning. I loved her. What I didn't realize was that the patients hated her. She was finishing filing her nails before she would pick up the telephone. She was borrowing money from them when I wasn't looking. All sorts of little charming and enduring aspects that she can change. But one day she decided she said to me, anyway, that I had had enough stress in my life that I needed to take a day off and go to the beach, which really probably meant she wanted to take a day off from work and go to the beach and didn't want to send her own money and gasoline, but we went. Yeah. And while I was there, she came across this woman on the beach who was reading cards and told me I need to get my cards read by her. And I don't mind the concept of getting a card reading, but I'd like to go to someone who comes with a solid recommendation. You know, my brother went, she said this would happen in 10 days, and it did. Not some woman, you know, with a a card table and folding chairs trying to flag you down on your otherwise intended good time at the beach. But she kept pushing me to go in that manly voice that life was just easier to agree. And I did, and I walked over to her, and the woman said, I've got $10 readings and $20 readings, what would you like? And I said, I'll take a $10 reading, which is pretty much what I received, a $10 reading, nothing to stand out, nothing too memorable. Mm-hmm. Except at the end, she said, well, this is work that I do. And um, it's designed to reconnect us with the universe. And I asked more about what it was. That wasn't her wording, reconnect. I don't remember what her word was. But she explained that the meridian system in our bodies that are used by acupuncturists and acupressure used to be much more comprehensive than it is today because the meridians used to extend off of our bodies and tie into the ley lines around the planet and the globe that 
connect us to the Earth and then continue out and connect us to the other stars and planets in the space in between. And that there came a certain point in time where humanity was disconnected from this system. And as the universe continued to unfold and evolve in its great and wondrous rate, we continue to evolve and unfold, but not at that same rate. But we've come to a point where we can reconnect. And left alone, we will probably do that over so many coming future generations. But that she could do a work that was designed to tie us in right now, sort of like a supernatural broadband instantaneous hookup. And I, out of curiosity from listening to all this, I asked her how much she charged for it. She said $333. And I said, no, thank you, because I could think of a lot of things to do with $332. And giving them to a, you know, gypsy card reader on the beach wasn't high on my list. Mm-hmm. But um, I got up to leave, and she scribbled down on a piece of paper, and she said, here, you can read about this in a book called The Book of Knowledge, The Keys to Enoch, by Dr. J.J. Hertog. Read chapter 317. It's only eight little pages. So I thanked her very much. I put the paper in my pocket, and I left having no intention of paying any attention to that again. But I found I kept thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And finally, one day, I had an extra 10 minutes off from lunch before I went back to my office. And I stopped into a spiritual bookstore, and I got a copy of the book, just took it down just to look at. I figured I would quickly skim through those eight little pages. Have you ever seen that book? I it's I it's been recommended and I've been searching for it. So it's amazing. You have to tell us what it's about. Well, let me tell you that there are three things that you cannot do with that book. Okay. Okay. You cannot read it, you cannot understand it, <laughs> and you definitely cannot skim through it. Outside of that, it's a great book. You have to sleep with it under your pillow. The more confused I became, the more confused I became, the more intrigued I became. I went back and forth and tried to read it again and tried to read it again. And finally, after a while, I realized that with all the effort and energy I'd been expending around this, that it would probably just be cheaper and easier if I paid the woman her $333 and let her do the work. So... I called I called her up, I made the appointment, she explained it was done over two sessions. So I did it I did it on a Thursday, which was my day off, and I scheduled the second one for a Sunday. And there I was on my Thursday, um, having the session. I showed up at her place, she placed me in a massage table, dimmed the lights, put on the new age tinkling music that she had available and took her fingertips and started tracing these little line patterns on my body. All the while, I'm thinking to myself, I cannot believe that I paid this woman $333 to draw lines on, on my body with her fingertips. And my mind was going off and jabbering and jabbering. And finally, it dawned on me at a certain point in time that I needed to stop the internal conversation and let go. And I've given her the money. I might as well see what comes from it. So with that, I drifted off, and about 45 minutes to an hour later, she touches me lightly, tells me to sit up slowly as if the earth had moved, as if she was the only one of the two of us who noticed that, to slide to the edge of the table, let my feet hang, feel to the ground. I'm thinking of the ground where I left it. She walked me around the room trying to tell me to get back into my body. Mm -hmm. I humored her and did the whole get back into your body dance with her. 
I had experienced nothing. I left and went home thinking that I couldn't have done anything more ridiculous than agree to have gone back to her on Sunday for part two. I got home. The rest of the day was a normal day. I went to sleep that night, and I'm awakened an hour later by this bright light that comes shining through my eyes. I open my eyes to see what it is, and it's nothing seemingly spiritual or metaphysical. It's just the lamp next to my bed, and it turns itself on. But more intriguing than that to me was that... I became acutely aware of the feeling that somebody was in my home who wasn't there when I'd gone to sleep. I can't tell you how uncomfortable of a feeling this is. Let's just say I got up with a knife, a can of pepper spray, and my Doberman pincher, and went hunting. Okay. After about 20 minutes, I realized that I wouldn't find anyone, and I convinced myself that it had to be my imagination. I went back to sleep. That Sunday, I went to her for part two. She did the same thing again, but the experience was different. I couldn't seem to lie still on the table. I was uncomfortable. It was a hot, 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 oppressively hot August day in Southern California in this little, tiny, non-air-conditioned, one-bedroom apartment. But by the time she finished, I was so chilled that she had wrapped me in a blanket for a good five minutes. Now, at the end of that, I did experience something different. I, on one hand, it was something I had never experienced before. On the other hand, it was something that seemed totally familiar to me at the same time. It was this immense sense of peace. I remember leaving gently, sort of floating off. I remember getting into my car. I remember starting the ignition, the sound, the feel of the motor, beginning to drive home, and I don't remember anything else. I don't remember getting home. I don't remember going to sleep that night. I don't remember getting up in the morning. All that I recall is that I'm standing in the hallway in my office sometime mid-morning on Monday, and two of my employees are standing there facing me saying, what happened to you this weekend? What did you do? You look so different. You sound so different. And I didn't want to say, well, I paid some very charming Jewish gypsy who called me mobile at $333 and draw lines in my body with their fingertips. Why do you ask? <laughs> so so I, I sort of, you know, non-answered the question and went in to see my next patient. I adjusted the patient. And then I told him to close his eyes and relax and allow the adjustment to settle in. And as it did, I could see that the patient's eyes were sort of moving rapidly back and forth. When he opened his eyes, he said to me, who was it who came into the room while I was here? I said, no one. Why? He said, no. Like, it wasn't. Who walked into the room? He said, nobody. I said, what do you what, what mean, nobody? He said, I heard. I said, they weren't here. He said, I felt them. I said, they weren't here. Uh, well, I thought, all right, I, I finally insisted no one was there. He finally agreed with me, but I could tell he didn't believe me. It didn't matter. I didn't think about it much. I went into the next room. I adjusted the next patient. When she opened her eyes, she said, who was it who walked into the room when I was lying here? I said, no one. Why? And then I heard them at the door. So they weren't at the door. She said, I felt them there. All I can tell you. So their eyes were closed. I, their they... eyes were closed but they sensed that someone was in the room. 
it's like they're like like your sensitivity that was heightened, their sensitivity as well through you was heightened. Apparently, just as I had been feeling people in my home, just as I had been feeling people in my home that weekend, that Sunday, uh, that Thursday night before. Yes. They were feeling people in the room standing. Seven patients in one day insisted that they were feeling people standing in the room, walking, running, and two of them actually looked me straight in the eye and said, it was just somebody who was flying around the ceiling. Now, this was my 12th year in practice. No one had ever said anything like this to me before, so you would think mm -hmm. that this would have gotten my attention. Uh -huh. But other patients were saying, I can feel your hands before you touch me, which I didn't believe. And I said, oh, you're sure you can. Close your eyes, lie down. So they closed their eyes. They were lying on the table, and I would hold my hands, palms toward them, anywhere from inches to feet to yards away from them. And they could tell me, right shoulder, left ankle, so it sort of became a game because, well, it was my office, and I could have whatever games I wanted. And as I played with this, I would see their eyes rapidly dart back and forth, tiny, tiny, tiny little muscles in their forehead or their chin would move and ripple, muscles that were so tiny we couldn't move them intentionally. It would be pulling at their lips and pulling at their eyebrows. Then I'd see their fingers start to move, their feet. When they'd open their eyes, they were telling me they were seeing colors they'd never before seen. They were smelling fragrances they had never smelled before. And they were demonstrating healing. Not very many of them. They were getting up. People who had wheelchairs and they were able to walk. Um, people mm -hmm. were regaining vision, hearing, use of arms and legs. I would get calls days later from the patients saying that they wanted to bring me in their laboratory results and show me that their cancer tumors had vanished. Children with cerebral palsy and epilepsy were able to walk and run and play normally, speak normally, not have seizures and not require medicine. Again, not every one of them, just as with medicine, there are no promises or guarantees and nothing is 100%, but enough people so that we began to recognize that something truly substantial, something truly significant was occurring there. The phones started ringing. People were asking me to teach this. I said, teach it. you got to be crazy. I'm standing there waving my hand in the air looking like a fool. You go outside, wave your hand in the air, let me know what your neighbors have to say about it. Mm -hmm. And yet more of the patients would call and they would say, they just got home and they pulled up in front of their house, their automatic garage door opened before they hit the little automatic button to open it or they went inside and the lamp or TV started turning off and on. They felt sensations in their hands. They could hold their hands by someone in their family and suddenly the grandfather could walk after the stroke or the uncle would gain the use of an arm or his hearing. And we began to recognize that once we interact with what science today calls the reconnective healing spectrum. Once we interact with this more comprehensive, more expansive spectrum of healing, something changes within us that not only seems to allow for our own healing, but seems to allow us to facilitate healings for others. So I would call this woman who did this work for me, and, and uh, she put me in touch with the woman who created the work. And apparently no one had had these responses before or after. I mean, it's much stranger than even that I told you. I mean, twice a week there was, I was waking up and there was a light on somewhere in the house, not always the same one. A door opened somewhere in the house, which I know by habit I always would close. And I even working with patients, at one point I got tiny, or a couple points I got tiny little blisters in my palms. Once there was even a little bleeding. No, it was not a stigmata. It was more as if you accidentally stuck your hands in a little tin or a needle, but there it was just the same. 
and she said, no one's ever had these experiences before. We pretty much determined that the person who created the work, it was as if they had fashioned or came up with a key. For everyone they talked to do that work, it's as if they gave them duplicates of that very same key and said to all these people, go out and try doors, keep trying doors, keep trying to do this on people. Somewhere there's a door that's supposed to open. And I was the door. I was the door. That does not make me the gift. It makes me the door. The fact is, if you look at the door right now and if Oprah Winfrey walked in, no one would say, wow, what a wonderful door. The gift is the gift. The gift is what came through. As a matter of fact, the woman who did the work on me came into the office later to receive the gift of the reconnective healing. And we don't need to go through the process of that whole big ritual concept any longer. We are now able to facilitate healings for one another. This is why I teach this. I teach seminars around the world. I've trained over 70,000 people so far. My book, which is called The Reconnection, Heal Others, Heal Yourself, is an, is an international bestseller in over 36 different languages. And we're here teaching this work around the globe. As a matter of fact, um, coming up soon in uh, March 1st through the 4th in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, we're teaching this at the Kripalu Center, and we're teaching it March 30th, the last weekend in March, in Phoenix, Arizona. And what happens at the seminars is basically this. Usually... Except for Kripalu, which is a little stretched out at four days. Most of the seminars are a Friday night, a Saturday, and a Sunday. And what happens is, is on the Friday night, I present for approximately three hours. I talk about the history of the work, the theory of the work, how it came about, the philosophy, the principles within it. And then we demonstrate the healings on the volunteers in the audience so you can see an actual live healing maybe on yourself or on somebody that you know and we give everyone an opportunity to feel it in your hands because it's extremely clear it's extremely palpable on saturday and sunday however it's quite a different thing it's a real working seminar i'm going to tell everyone right now don't come and i mean this don't come if you think we're all going to sit around, hold hands, drum, and sing Kumbaya, my Lord. It won't happen that way. Okay. <laughs> the stage in the center of the room, seating on one side, massage tables on the other. And what happens is we demonstrate a level of the work from the stage. Then we go to the massage tables in groups of either two or four. I walk around to each of the tables, and so does our internationally trained team of teaching assistants. We'll take your hands. We'll show you how to begin to feel different aspects of this. We might show you how to feel something um, in the air, maybe a foot or so or two away from the person who's lying down. You'll start to see their eyes rapidly dart back and forth. We'll show you how to feel something else. You'll see their fingers move or their feet respond. And as you begin to recognize that, hmm, when I'm here, I feel this and I see that. But when I'm here, I feel something else and I see something else you begin to recognize your clear, distinct role in this healing process as a, as a shepherd, you could say, taking them into another state of consciousness, another state of being that demonstrates itself, um, among other ways, clearly physically. And by the end of one weekend, one weekend, not ten weekends, not two, but the end of one weekend, I can pretty much make you two promises. 
A, you will be able to do anything and everything in the way of healing that I can do. And B, you will be able to do anything and everything in the way of healing that any human being anywhere on this planet can do, whether they created what they want to call new energy healing techniques, whether they're masters or grandmasters, whether they were raised by a monk in a cave in the mountaintop in Tibet and said grains of seed, each one blessed by the individual lama. It doesn't matter the story. Today, what it's about is about transcending the story, demystifying the healing process, recognizing that we can all access this. It is no longer about us looking for what makes each one of us special. What's really the key is for us to learn compassion and learn to see how each and every one of us are the same. And this is so important right now, the work that you are doing to teach so many people to do this. It's fascinating that we can heal ourselves with this. When we're still in that paradigm of Western medicine, this comes along and it allows us to really make an impact. What would be your advice for the type of person like yourself? And what I love about you, Eric, is that you came from, it sounds kind of like you were skeptical of the New Agers, but you you were open enough to pay that $10 to go to the psychic and then follow that thread. You stayed open the whole time. And the way that you were born into this world with your mother having a an experience, a, she died during your birth but was sent back after she saw the knowledge of how the universe works. What can someone do when they develop their business, you know, with marketing? Is it for anyone like a chiropractor, a hypnotherapist, a massage therapist? Anyone, anyone, anyone can learn to do this work. I would say um, about... 20% of the people have learned this work, so let's say maybe about 15,000 of the people who have come so far are mainstream um, doctors, healthcare practitioners, nurses, physical therapists, medical researchers. Another 30% are the masters and grandmaster teachers who have reached a point where they recognize that the training wheels on the bicycle have to come off. The techniques have to leave because the true gift of the technique comes only in its transcendence. But the other 50% of the people who learn this work are people with no background in healing whatsoever, either spiritually or mainstream. Just everyday people like you and me who just, you know, are recognizing that with all the research out that is now validating what makes reconnective healing so unique and special from energy healing and the fact that we don't need to ensconce ourselves with um, protections and rituals and step one, step two, step three. It's not a big complicated mess. It's simply a state of being. Today, everyone's learning this work. And yes, as a matter of fact, we do have someone on staff who's had over 30 years experience in teaching doctors how to set up their own practices. And she keeps herself available. She'll teach some seminars and be available for private consultation as well. And how to set up your own healthcare practice so that you can set it up successfully based on ethics and consciousness and the concept of how many people can I possibly touch with the light and love and energy of the healing. Mm-hmm. And word of mouth will spread. 
When something is great like this, the people will come. I do want you to share what your mother shared with you about her experience during birthing you into life. Well, her experience was that um, she was lying on the delivery table. Uh, I'm going to do this as best as possible from memory. She was lying on the delivery table, and she started hearing very, very loud sounds, like the roar of motors or engines. And she was wondering why no one else in the room seemed to notice them or be disturbed or distracted by them. And she felt them starting at the soles of her feet and moving up to the tops of her feet and to her ankles and to her knees. And she knew that if it got to her heart, she would die. And she didn't want to die. She was giving birth to her first child. And um, she couldn't seem to get anyone's attention. And the next thing she knows, she's left her body. And she starts to move up, and she moves up through levels of spirits who are disincarnate, who have left their bodies. The first level, she said, were the spirits who are still here on Earth who feel that they've got work that is not yet complete. The second level, she doesn't recall. The third level was the only one that was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for the beings on that level and uncomfortable for the rest of us to pass through. It was the level... The only one where people who had done the one thing to do that temporarily interrupts God's plan, and that was the level of people who had taken their own lives. Mm-hmm. She knew they were on that level for a much longer time. She did feel that eventually they do move through that level and continue on. Then she went up some more and some more and finally got to, I guess, the top where she found herself drifting down a lane, although her feet weren't moving and she wasn't walking. And this is what she feels most people speak about as the tunnel. But she was drifting down this lane where she saw beautiful flowers of colors she had never before seen, saw everyone that she'd known from this lifetime and other lifetimes, and saw how clear it was that we recognized one, each, um, one another. There was no verbal communication, but one look would convey volumes of information. She saw how ridiculous it was to judge anyone on their appearance. And she was moving toward this very, very, very bright light. It was so bright that she was afraid to open her eyes to look at it, that it might burn her. But she felt compelled to, and she did look at it, and she realized there was nothing physical to burn or to hurt. And when she was presented to that light, Her life was laid out before her, and she could see it was a good life, and yet there was no judgment, which I know sounds contradictory, but she said it makes sense to you when you're there, you'll understand. And and she was suddenly imbued with the secrets of the universe, why the earth is round, the grass is green, the sky is blue, how um, we can't blame God for anything, no matter how awful it seems, such as drive-by shootings of children, and how everything is... It is part of a, a plan, a learning process for us, that there's a reason for everything, and everything makes perfect sense when you're there, but you're not here to understand the reasons. We're here to be learning what's going on. She saw how ridiculous it was, utterly ridiculous, for young men and women to go out and lose their lives in war, fighting the battles for older men and women, how that war is a temporary state of barbarism that we will eventually outgrow, thank God, and all of these things, and suddenly, it was such a beautiful place where we 
come home to, where we all come here from. There was only one regret that anyone ever had along the way in the dying process, and that's that those people left behind mourn them because they don't realize what a beautiful place it is. And then suddenly, suddenly she found herself being sent back. And for all the struggling that she did not to die in the first place, now she didn't want to come home. But she was told she had to go back to raise her child. And she felt herself losing all of the information, all of the insights she was given. And she struggled to hold on to those that she came back with and talked about the story a little bit in the beginning, but people weren't talking about it back then. There wasn't, there wasn't um, the wonderful works of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross or Raymond Moody or, you know, Daniel Brinkley or the others who talked on the subject. So she did stop speaking about it. And then I think one day when I was around five, six, or seven, and I started asking questions mm-hmm. about death was when she sat me down and she shared that story. So it is the second chapter of the book. It was the most difficult chapter to write because I had to go back and forth with her on the phone all the time to try to get just the right wording. And even then, she would say, there just are no words to convey it. Wow. It's a very wonderful chapter for people who are going through either their own death or who are going through um, a death process of someone close or near to them because it, it, uh, I get reports all the time that it's allowed people to feel so much better and to come to terms and to balance with the transition. That makes me feel very happy. I feel I, I know I've made a contribution. Yes, for those who are scared and even some who are atheist and agnostic, so that would be very comforting. So wonderful work that you're doing. Can we finish on your thoughts on ascension, even moving into this new world, this higher vibration, a galactic alignment, and our bodies, how are our bodies going to change? I don't know how our physical bodies will change I do know that the bodies are changing by moving into this ascension that we're in because I remember, well, there was, um, I can't go into this whole story because we won't finish it in time, but I remember that um, I was explaining, I had a clear understanding that this work was changing our DNA. And of course, you know, at that time, it just seemed an outlandish thing to talk about DNA changes. We now have studies that show we have five international studies so far with a sixth one being planned that shows that this restructures as the researchers put it or reconnects as i put it our dna the most recent study that showed this was done with russian olympic athletes at the main university in st petersburg in russia and i was there working with um, i believe it was 60 People. And we work with the Russian Olympic athletes. We let each of them experience approximately three minutes or so of the reconnective healing. And there was a control group that experienced regular energy healing, the energy healing that we're familiar with. And then they were sent home. They were monitored, and they were studied and retested 10 days later. 10 days later, after that three-minute session, they each, 100% of them, of the um, athletes, showed 
a huge improvement demonstrably, scientifically, statistically in their red blood cells, their white blood cells, their humoral levels, their emotional states, and their DNA. As a matter of fact, there's a book that one of the head researchers there just put out on, um, I believe it's available on Amazon, called Science Confirms Reconnective Healing, which I wouldn't have dreamed that type of a title would come right out, but there it is. So this is our ascension. How will our bodies change? How will the shift be? Will we notice it physically? I'm not sure so much. I think more we're going to notice a change in the DNA. And what the change in the DNA does, well, think about your computers. You've got computer hardware. And in order to do anything with it, you have to put a computer software program in. You get information from within the computer, and you access information from that Internet field out there somewhere. Upgrade the software, better information from within the computer and better access to that Internet field out there somewhere. How do our brains work? We access information from within the brain, and we access information from what science today calls zero-point fields. On our basic level, we do it every day. When one child who's a, one child stares at another child who's asleep, and that child wakes up, we're in the field. When we think about a friend we haven't thought about for 15 years, and 15 minutes later, the phone rings. We're in the field. People who are geniuses, people who are psychics, people who are healers. It's not that big of a secret. All they're really doing is accessing that field a little more sensitively, a little more here, a little more there, and not second-guessing the information as it comes in. So what if our brains are our hardware? What if our DNA is our software? And what if we are doing what science is showing us, restructuring or reconnecting our DNA through this work called Reconnective Healing? Then what we are doing for one another is facilitating a human software upgrade, which allows better access to the information within and better access to the more multidimensional universe around us. And since we go where our attention is, the more our awareness is in the multidimensional world, the more multidimensional we become. This, to me, is our ascension. Very good. We are facilitating the human software upgrade. You yourself, I want to allow you the time. I want to allow you to tell the time about how you discovered that you were doing the work to reconnect the DNA. In your book, your story about your clients that suddenly spoke in a strange voice, a channeled message to you. Over 50 different patients from January through March of 1994 lost consciousness and spoke six verbatim phrases. I'll share with you the first four. We are here to tell you to continue doing what you were doing. What you were doing is bringing light and information onto the planet. What you were doing is reconnecting strings, and what you were doing is reconnecting strands. Now, what I just talked about with the DNA is the reconnection strands. Strings are simultaneous planes of existence. See, the interplay is as the strands restructure and reconnect, we become more aware and multidimensional of what's happening there. Now, the person who originally spoke these six words, uh, these phrases, he spoke the phrases on one day. Two days later, three other patients said it. A few days later, 
five other patients said it, and all in all over this three-month period of time, 50, so it's five zero, 50 different patients lost consciousness and spoke these six phrases. And then at the end of that three-month period, it all stopped except for the original person. And the original person who brought this through, we would continue to talk and share this information, and we've recorded it since about 1994 up through now. And I am right now this weekend working on a book, putting this information together to share. <laughs> so any skepticism that you had is over as you know the truth. You feel and know deep in your heart that this is your truth. This is my experience. This is what happened. I mean, I had to go through my own skepticism. And once I passed that, no one else's skepticism really matters that much to me because <laughs> I had to get through my own. But if you'd like, what I'll be happy to do is share a little bit, um, just a couple of excerpts from the book that I'm working on. Please do. We're happy to hear that. Okay. Here we go. There is a lot that needs to be said in various ways. We understand ourselves in a limited fashion, and we need to carry this understanding as a life process. It is the unveiling of a multifaceted force within our life. We need to peel away the exterior so that that internal being, so that that eternal soul that resides within our framework can share itself. It's the unveiling of a multifaceted force within our lives so that this internal being shines through to those we come into contact. And it is that eternal soul that resides within our framework, which is being covered up in many ways by our fears and apprehensions. In your work as a healing practitioner, that is what you need to do to unveil your soul. It is not a simple process. Stripping away of ego is an eternal process. This selflessness that must shine through the being that can reach in without interference. Once you allow your soul, that egoless purity, to come through, that is almost a common denominator. That is almost a common denominator in that it has the ability to automatically fuse with the frequency of the person you're coming into contact with. So your job in this process is to strip away the defense, strip away the mind, Strip away the control mechanisms and the techniques on this plane. Let them go. Let them be a part of an exterior that has nothing to do with you. And present that soul in the room. It will automatically do the work. That energy is the common universal language of the cosmos. It is understood immediately and is felt intrinsically. This work is definitely proving that we are light beings. Wonderful. We are, and we are stepping into that, and it's our responsibility. We are standing on the precipice of human evolution right now. Are we always? Probably, on some level or another. And yet, is any one child more special than another? Is any one child not special? This is so unique and special to us right now, and this is where we are, and we're truly blessed to be to be experiencing this lifetime in this time. We are. We are truly blessed to be right here. 
and we all chose to be right here doing the exact work that we're doing. Can you share any empowerment message that you would have for us or listeners? The empowerment message is that we must learn to look inside, that the gifts, that the insights are all inside, that we can't stand in fear protecting ourselves with amulets and crystals and shaking off negative energy and facilitate healing that reside in love. We can't facilitate a gift that we don't accept ourselves. We can't stand in lack and limitation trying to become more through techniques and rituals and crystals and such and facilitate healings that reside in abundance. Every choice we make comes from love, prosperity, abundance, light, unity, and oneness, or from fear, lack, limitation, and the separation, the illusion of separation, the illusion of darkness. And we have to step into the light if that means, even if that means stepping through our fears. We have to let go of the control mechanisms that we have on this plane to become one and flow with the universe. Flow forward, flow forward. Thank you, Dr. Eric Pearl, for being here today. Your website, thereconnection.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And everyone, if you resonate with this information, I find it fascinating. If anyone has lost a job and is looking for something new, remember by looking within, as Dr. Pearl mentioned, we can find that master and we can go and share something wonderful with the planet and make a nice career out of it, helping others in service to others. So thank you again, Dr. Eric Pearl. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And thank you, too, for listening. If you've enjoyed this program, please share it with your friends so we can get this important information out to the world. This program is supported by donations by listeners like you. Your support allows us to bring you fresh information that is empowering, inspiring, and uplifting. It's also information you won't find so commonly in mainstream media. Please visit AcousticHealth.com. Thank you for your support, and I now leave you with music from the universe. This music was literally created by the universe as mathematical equations were assigned to musical notes. The result is this beautiful music. Music.